Well, good morning. I'm not Brian. I think they were reminding you throughout the service to, I don't know, lower your hopes maybe? Uh, I don't know. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Lakewood, and uh, I'll tell you, it is a privilege and an honor to serve here, uh, to be a part of a body of believers that truly does know what the Great Commission means and what the Great Commandment is, to love people, to go into this world. And so uh, for me, it is great. This has been uh, just a wonderful summer for us. Uh, with the student ministries, we have had the opportunity to have a missions trip in June to northeast Minneapolis where we were able to bring basically this idea of kingdom club, kingdom, kingdom camp to the kids to help them understand uh, in the inner city who Jesus is and that he is the king, that God is the king, and to proclaim the gospel there. We had five individuals, and I've got a couple of them I know that are in here today, five young ladies that were out on short-term missions trips uh, this summer for five weeks, six weeks, and uh, were global um, all over the place. And so they were proclaiming the gospel to all regions of this world. And then this summer, just about three weeks ago, we were down in Kansas City with a group uh, for our, even, our Evangelical Free Church Conference, uh, Challenge Conference with our students, and we, were, we, were, we learned what it meant to live the story of the gospel and to tell the story of the gospel. So God's put on my heart this message because I think it's something that lends well with what Pastor Paul said last week, where we're talking about this idea of making disciples. And, uh, and we know from Matthew uh, 28, we see that we are to make disciples. I don't think there's any debate about that. And so he kind of talked about what is a disciple and what does that look like and what do we need to do? Well, I'm going to kind of take the next step of it saying what do we do to make new disciples? So we're going to kind of look at that, um, that as we uh, go through this morning. You know, I understand that for many, sharing Jesus and the good news of the gospel can be very difficult. Um, I, I know that uh, there, there's probably more debate about the methods and how we share and who is responsible for sharing it than there is really about that we are to go. Many say it's the responsibility of those that are gifted in evangelism, maybe the pastors, an extrovert, because they're just naturally good at talking to people, um, leaders in the church. But Scripture makes it pretty clear that we're all responsible as believers of Christ, as disciples. See, we need to remember that reaching the world around us with the gospel is everyone's responsibility. And many times, it takes all of us working together. I remember reading a book a number of years ago titled, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. So the question is, do you know what it is? Some of you have maybe read the book, Share Jesus with an Unbeliever. It made me think long and hard about how intentional I'm being about sharing the gospel with those around me. You know, I don't come up here and, and tell you I have it all figured out. I'm not one of those people that can turn every conversation I have into a spiritual conversation with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. We use the word gospel and good news many times, but I want to make sure that we're not running into the assumption that we assume we know what it means. And so I think for many of us this is review, but I think it's a good review. In the New Testament alone, those two words are used uh, over a hundred times. And so I just want to be sure we're on the same page. And the Apostle Paul summarizes the gospel message as the death, burial, resurrection, and his appearances of the resurrected Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, he says this. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you which you received and which you stand. 
and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Now catch verse 3. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. See, Paul uses two very interesting statements here. In verse 3 we see, he says, I delivered to you as first importance. See, he's simply telling us, the recipients of this letter, that, hey, this is the main thing. This is what I want you to hear me say. And what, this is our priority, our focus. But the last part of verse 3 and then verse 4, he uses this idea of in accordance with Scripture. I believe the statement was to have people go back to the Scriptures about the Messiah, especially the Jews. Isaiah 53 would be an example of that. The fact that he was buried verified his death, and the fact that he appeared to others verified his resurrection. That's what Paul wants us to understand. Scripture tells us that we are to go and make disciples and keep the gospel as first importance. See, I think most of us want to do that. I haven't met many people that don't want to do that, that are a Christian. But we've had a hard time. Some of us have experienced failure, rejection, fear, and others have waited for that perfect time that just didn't come or it did come and we chickened out. Others have experienced the amazing joy of praying with a family friend or a co-worker and see them come into this relationship with Jesus. Many times we feel guilty because you hear of others that are regularly leading others to Christ and you've not had that opportunity or you've missed some opportunities. When I was in high school, I had a friend named Kathy. We had known each other since elementary school and God had laid her on my heart as somebody that I needed to share with. So I tried to find that perfect moment and I know I missed some great opportunities when I just would kind of bail out right at the last second. I remember God putting it on my heart again to share with her. And it was clear. I can't explain it, but it was almost like it was verbal. Dave, you need to share with her. It was, it was, it was, I, I knew it. So I psyched myself up. I, I told myself, I can do this. And then I reminded myself of all those passages and characters from the Bible, you know, that my youth pastor had shared with me in youth group about Moses going, you know, before Pharaoh, you know, Joshua, be bold and courageous, all these kind of things. And, and I remember those words in Matthew 10. 19 and 20, where it says this, Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is you, it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So I was ready. I was going in. And then all of a sudden, I became kind of a wet noodle as the time approached. And I missed another opportunity. The reason I remember this incident so well is because I knew God had told me to do it, and I didn't. I felt like such a failure and even questioned my commitment to Jesus and, and my lack of faith. How, how could I do this? While I was in my own little pity party for the next week, I noticed that Kathy wasn't at school. Two days turned into a week and a week a month and no Kathy. I later found out that she tried to commit suicide, and she didn't return to school until we had a couple weeks left of school of our senior year. I wish I could give you a happy ending, but I failed to ever share with Kathy. So there you have it. (laughs) We're all in this together. We're going to fail together. We're going to succeed together. And you know, we're not the only ones that feel this way.
So as I was reading about the Apostle Paul and his four missionary journeys, I came across this passage in 2 Corinthians 11, which I'm glad I didn't come across after I had failed with Kathy. Um, And starting in verse 24, it says, Five times I received, and this is Paul, received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Okay, that's not good. Three times I was beaten with a rod. That's not very good. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from uh, rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own. You getting the theme here? Um, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. And I'm thinking, oh boy. You know, that kind of blew me away that Paul was that committed. But it also made me ask the question, is this the kind of stuff I should be facing? Should I be going through these kind of things? Well, the one thing I do know is that, yes, we're going to face some kind of persecution for living out our lives for Jesus. That's a given. Scripture tells us that. Sharing the gospel is a matter of life or death for those of, for those of us that are sharing it, but also for those that are receiving it and that we're sharing it with. Scripture tells us that we are light in a dark world, and the evil of this world doesn't want to be exposed for what it is. You know, I... When I looked at Paul, I, I felt kind of this time where I'm going, man, I wish I could be more like Paul. And I asked the question, why was Paul so willing to contend for the faith in the way that he was? What was he, why was he willing to go through it? And it tells us this, that it was for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of this good news of Jesus Christ going out. So I figure today we're going to focus in on Paul a little bit and this idea of what we can learn from him. There's a lot we can learn from Paul, but I'm going to kind of take a few things. So first of all, Paul was tuned in to God's heart. He knew how much he loved us. He knew how much God loved him. John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In Romans 5, 8, Paul continues and writes to the Romans, he says, But God shows his love for us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This verse is not saying that he demonstrated or showed it says shows or demonstrates, meaning it's continual. The, the, and then in Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but, in, but, be, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should receive repentance or reach repentance. That's God's heart. God's love is sacrificial. Notice that God was the one that first acted first. He was the first one that showed love. I believe the lesson for us here is that we've got to love as Jesus loved, as God loves. 1 John 4, 7 and 12 kind of uh, say a little bit about that as an additional reading for you. Paul understood his responsibility to share the gospel with the world. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 was a very familiar passage for those of us that have been in the church for a while. And, And Jesus came and said to them, to the disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
But then just shortly after that, Acts 1.8. What does that look like? Where do we go? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the Holy Spirit is doing the work. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, we could say Brainerd Baxter. In all Judea, Minnesota, Samaria, the U.S., and the ends of the earth. The, you know, basically our world. Many Christians have seemed to, <clears throat> excuse me, seemed to leave um, sharing the gospel up to other Christians. Somebody else will talk to them, I'm sure. We need to be intentionally reaching out to the world around us. It's about being intentional. I remember a speaker I heard some time back ask this question. Does your heart ache for those that are not saved and are destined for hell? And then he replied with this. If it doesn't, you need to check your own heart in relationship with Jesus. I thought those are some pretty tough and penetrating words. So no matter what stage we're in, young family, new career, retired, and so on, we all still need to be about proclaiming the gospel to the world. We are never to say, I'm done. It's someone else's turn to proclaim. There is no vacation. There is no retirement. Paul followed the lead of the Holy Spirit, and we see this in the book of Acts um, as just one example. In Acts 13, 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we see that Paul is willing to go. There's a willingness on his part. In Acts 16, 6, he says, As they went through the region of Phagaria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So he went to where people, where God put him and told him to go. He could have went to Asia, which is a lot of the churches that were just going to be new that we later see Paul write letters to. But God was saying, wait. And then, it says, and then in Acts 17, 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so he was willing to speak when he was told to speak. He was, you know, this idea of provoked here is this idea that he was disturbed. Like, oh, I cannot believe all this idolatry, all this stuff that's going on. See, Paul's telling us that, you know, it is truly the power of the Holy Spirit that will do the work. We must leave the results, and I want you to hear this, leave the results up to the Holy Spirit as he convicts their hearts. See, John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, it's our responsibility to be obedient and do as he's called us to do. And there's going to be many times we fail. Paul was willing to invest his life in reaching the world. He became a servant to Jesus. See, just a few weeks ago, as Pastor Brian was preaching, he was talking about John the Baptist, and there's this debate between the disciples of Jesus. Well, actually, John the Baptist's disciples saying, hey, they're following Jesus. And, and, and John stops them and helps them understand this. He says, you know, I need to become less so that he be can become more. He can be greater. He wanted all the attention to go to Jesus. That is true for us as well. We see for Paul in Romans 1, 1, he starts off many of his letters this way, Paul, a servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So we see this servant. We see why? The gospel. Paul is following, and Paul is just following Jesus' footsteps. Jesus was the perfect example of what a servant is. He could have ruled, he rules all things, created all things, but yet, in 10, Mark 10.45, he says, For the Son of Man did not come 
to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 1.10, for I, you know, as Paul speaking to the church in Galatia, he says, for am I now speaking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were to try, uh, still try pleasing uh, man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So when we try to please what people want, that's our audience. Well, we're not doing what God wants us. But when we make God the audience of one, then we are pleasing him. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, Paul had read that earlier, but we, we see that for through, in verse 19, it says, For through I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. So we see Paul's mindset that he, he is saying, you know what, I'm going to come into a culture and I want to understand this culture and I want to address their issues from their point of view. I've become weak. I've become all things to all men so that by, by all means, some may be saved. And then he ends it with, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. See, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to understand, you know, I, I want them to understand who, who I am, okay? Um, you know, as, so as he's saying this, he's, he says, I want to understand who I'm with. Paul's saying, I want to understand who they are. You know, he's, he's not saying, I'm going to give up my core beliefs, what I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not going to compromise those things. He just wants to approach those he's speaking to from their point of view, from their background, not his own. And again, the reason why he's doing it is for the sake of the gospel. For example, I remember a few years back when I was in New Orleans leading a student missions team with uh, Urban Impact. And, and um, we would be helping uh, kids in the uh, park or uh, between these housing projects. There's an open grass area, and we'd be playing games with them. And, and so one night I'm out, and it was a beautiful night, and it wasn't too hot. That means it was about 85 and humid. And so that's a beautiful night in New Orleans in the summer. And so uh, I'm going along, and I'm talking to this older gentleman as I come up to him. I introduce myself, and I said, hey, it's a beautiful night, isn't it? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was nice. And I introduced myself, and I said, isn't it fun to watch these kids having so much fun? And um, and so he's like, yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, um, this is really going well. Um, so I proceeded to comment about the weather and all those kind of things. And and then he kind of looked right at me, and and then and then said this. He says, I'm so sick and tired. And you know when people start with sick and tired, that's usually not a good thing. And so he says of, of groups coming to New Orleans for a short period of time and leaving. Before Hurricane Katrina, no one really cared about us down here. But now we're just another service project for white people to feel good. I'm like, ouch, that hurt. (laughs) But you know what? In a lot of cases, it was completely true. Completely true. So my my response to him was rather simple. I agreed with him that what he was saying, there's a lot of truth in that. In a lot of cases, that, that was just exactly what happened. And I told him, I wish that wouldn't be the case. So then I moved the conversation to address his concern. You know, I told him that Urban Impact Ministries had been committed to the central city of New Orleans. And I used the word central city, not inner city, because central city is how they identify their inner city area. So that he understood that I knew a little bit more about New Orleans than just that. And, and that they had been here, Urban Impact, for over 15 years and they had no plans to leave. Then I said to him, I said, uh, about New Orleans. I says, I've been on trips down here 10 times at least with students and work teams before Katrina even hit. And I said, man, I had a niece and I had a friend and, I, and these people I consider friends. 
And I said, when they were going through all that, I felt like I was going through it with them because these were friends. He says, and I told him I love New Orleans. And he was able to see that I valued him and his beloved city. See, from that point on, we had an amazing conversation about the gospel. And I was able to share it with him. You know, I didn't compromise my beliefs or my morals or even stretch things. I just tried to understand him and see what I could do to point him to Jesus and his love for him and even my love for him. See, Paul was intentional about who he shared the gospel with and looked for ways to reach people uh, wherever he was. In Acts 17, 16, I'm going to read a few verses and we're going to kind of get the story as Paul is... um, now in Athens, and he's kind of waiting for a couple of his buddies to show up. And so Paul's prompted. And so uh, we see here, it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked. And I, like I said earlier, it's kind of this idea he's disturbed. This is really bugging him. With him. Within him, as he saw the city, was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler? And, and, if, and I looked up this word babbler. It means seed picker. It's like a bird going around and picking up little things here and there and then kind of, in a sense, this regurgitating all these things that he um, learned, you know, and trying to put them all together to make them make sense. That's what they, a lot of these people thought of Paul. So that wasn't a nice thing about babbler, which to say. It says, others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, which is Mars Hill, some of you know as, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing Something new, which would be kind of what we call the glory days. We see three places Paul was intentional, which I think gives us a good model to follow. This isn't the only model. This is just kind of one model that I was able to pick up from what Paul did. He goes to the synagogue whenever he entered a new city. On his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, always went to the synagogue first. He he was a Jew, an upstanding Jew, uh, understood all their rituals. And so he went in there and, and listened and also talked to the saved and the unsaved. He reasoned with them, it tells us. He, he conversed with them, asked questions, answered questions. And he proclaimed the gospel to them. But then in um, verse 17, we see uh, more. He says, and he went, then he went to the marketplace. Okay, the marketplace would have been where Jews and Gentiles, common folk, would have hung out. And he would make himself available to people as well as engage people in conversations. He was just there, it's basically telling us. He was looking for people that he could speak with. He reached out to the leaders of thought of the day. These would be the Gentile leaders of thought. He boldly proclaimed who Jesus was, which got their attention. What was he sharing? Because what he was sharing was new to them. Much like things today. I think if we were to ask a majority of people in the U.S. what Easter is all about, they'd have a hard time really coming up with the right answer, let alone believing it. You know, it's worth noting that Paul was with them for several days. Maybe it was even weeks or months because he was waiting on people that were traveling a considerable amount of distance to get to him. So he didn't just stay in Athens. He was provoked and he acted and he went in. 
Well, Paul addresses the Areopagus. They bring him to him, so, so uh, bring him up there, and he says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way that you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Do you hear the themes Paul is addressing here? Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far off from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, in an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance, now he's coming into, okay, this is, you know, this is the time. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who is Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So what is Paul's message? Well, God is supreme, he's all-powerful, he's relational, and he calls us to follow him and him alone. See, all these things would have been very new to them. The Epicureans, for instance, they believed that the gods were distant and, uh, and, and that it was good to just live for the day, live for pleasure, kind of very hedonistic. And most denied even the existence of eternity. So whatever happens, I'm, I'm good, I'm done. The Stoics, on the other hand, believed that God, I would say a small g, uh, was to be found in all of nature. Today that would be called pantheism. So it makes sense why Paul speaks about the things he did. He addressed, a, he addressed the belief systems of both groups and then contrasted it with the truth of the gospel. Well, okay, so what was their response? The people that listened. What was their response? Well, Acts 17.32 says, Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among them uh, whom also were Dionysus and um, Erpagadi, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So what was the result? Some mocked and dismissed it. Some were interested and wanted to hear more. And some accepted the message and followed Jesus. See, Paul, as he wrote to the, uh, the Corinthian church, he says this right away in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. And you know what? This is how people react even today. Dr. Kelvin Whitman said it this way, We must ever be conscious of the reality that it is the gospel, not our persuasive speech, not our ability to market the church or even our Lord, but it is the power of the gospel itself applied to the hearts of the hearers by the Holy Spirit that leads to salvation. 
says, when I read that, it reminded me how I need to quit worrying about having the perfect place, the perfect words to say, the perfect situation. I just need to be obedient, to have the love of Jesus and share the truth of the gospel with anyone around me as the Holy Spirit directs and prompts me. So I've got three questions. Do I have a willing heart to share the gospel with others? That's one question. Do you find it hard to share the gospel? Do you know that, do you have at least three people that don't know Jesus that you want to see in heaven with you? Many of you probably answered yes to at least a couple of them, if not all three, and that's good. So now what do I do? I can't speak for you, but I can give you a few examples of things I, I found that, I, I, that have worked for my wife and I. Uh, my wife, Tammy, is an amazing, godly woman. You know, I'm so privileged to have her as my wife. I've learned so much about what it means to live a godly life through watching her. And so as I look at one of the things that I've enjoyed is Tammy's one of the things that she uses to proclaim the gospel to people is this. She prays. Might seem simple. Might not seem all that confusing. But she prays. She prays for students, former students, former church students, former classmates, family members, daycare parents, sports parents. Doesn't matter. And when she says she'll pray, she prays. And she continues to praise days, weeks, and even months later. You know, Facebook and text messaging has been a big help for her. She remembers things I forgot the next day. God made her that way, wired her that way. I was even reminded this past week when we purchased a table from a person we didn't know. And I'm moving the table with her husband, which took us about 10 minutes, and I see Tammy and the wife talking as though they were friends. So then I, when we were driving home, Tammy had already gotten the whole family story, told her that she would be praying for her difficult situation that the lady told her about, and told her to contact her if she wanted to. See, Tammy cares about the hearts of people and shares from the overflow of God's love in her life so that she can share with others. So if we don't have that relationship with God and that's not overflowing, it is hard to share with the world. For me, I kind of use a couple other techniques, and I call them techniques or methods, but there's, there's nothing really all that novel about it. The idea is you always keep the gospel as trying to get that out there. But I love to share in the third person. And the third person is simply, I had a doctor in the cities that uh, I would do maintenance at their doctor's office, and I'd run into him. And he's one of the younger doctors. And, and so what I would do is just get to know him, talk to him about different things. He knew what I did, so he was probably assuming at some point he's going to you know, say something spiritual to him. And so he just he would make that assumption. So I'll use that assumption. That's okay. But what I decided is I got to find a way that I can make a good avenue into him that seemed to make sense. And so the, I remember at youth group on a Wednesday night, we were talking about the human body and just how God designed us. And, and one of the kids came up after and he's just like, man, I cannot believe the human eye. All the parts that go into that to make that work, that is just incredible. So I took that Thursday night when I was working and I just said to the doctor, I said, hey, you know, I was just at youth group last night and we were talking about the human body, which I know as a doctor you should know a lot about. Um, I didn't say that, but, um, but he knows a ton about it. And I said, you know, he, my students said this about the, the eye. I said, what do you think is kind of the coolest part of the human body? And so he goes on to tell me. Well, we had good conversation around that and creation and those kind of things. Well, then later we had another conversation where a student had brought up again an opportunity about or talked to me about eternity and talked about what would heaven be like and all those kind of things. And, and so we discussed that. And so then I had that opportunity to talk with the doctor and say, you know what, I'm talking about this life after death. And the student said this to me. What do you think about that? 
And you know what? He wasn't offended at all. He's like, well, that's interesting. He was very open to it because I wasn't just going and attacking him, but I wanted to know what he thought. And another way that I found is that we just need to ask people about their journey. People like to share about who they are and what they do. And if they don't, usually it means somebody hasn't really listened to them very much. And so just ask people about their jobs, about what they love, what are the things they love to do in their free time, whatever it may be, find some common interest and ask them about their life. And you know what? You'll get to a point where a lot of times they reverse the question. And it'll ask you, well, what are, what are the things that are important to you? Well, I did a missions trip, and, you know, and I did that because I really felt like God had called me to that. And you can share it. Be real about it. Ask them, you know, what, 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 do you believe in anything kind of spiritual? And, you, and guess what? We don't have to give them an answer. We don't have to correct their theology at that time. We just need to be real and loving. And so I want you to understand that you can pray, you can talk in the third person, you can talk about their journey, but again, the idea is, is always bring it back to the gospel. Always talking about, I want to proclaim the gospel. But the way we proclaim, the, you know, and just like that song, a lot of times we get it in the way. We need to love as Jesus loves. That will tell a world a lot, the way in which we live. But you know what? We can live the story as our students learn this summer, but we also have to tell the story. There comes a time where we need to do it, and you know what? Just as Paul found, some followed, some wanted to hear more, and others mocked. That's what's going to happen, and that's okay. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the, most, or the best of use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, Ephesians 5 is telling us to live godly lives, okay? So people see us. We are Christ's ambassadors, being as much like Jesus as we possibly can. We're going to fail, but admit the failure. But it continues to tell us that we need to use our time wisely, which another way of saying that is be intentional with your time. Yeah, there's going to be those opportunities that just all of a sudden pop up, but there's also times we have to be intentional in our relationships with people. And the final thought is to know and do God's will. Well, we know from Matthew 28, Acts 1, what that is. We need to go and make disciples all nations. And then where? Well, okay, that all nations is everywhere around us. And God calls us each to different places. But the cool thing is, is in Romans 12 too, it tells us that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so if that's what God's will is, that's what we ought to be doing. Pastor Ed Stetzer says this. He says, Jesus was a friend of sinners. If we're going to live as he lived and join Jesus on his mission, we're going to be known as a friend of sinners. The goal is not to get away from everybody, but to bring Jesus to everybody. So I want you to just take a minute as we close to pray and consider at least three people that you're friends with, that could be family members, that don't know Jesus and you want to be intentional with. Remember, they're not a project for you, but they're somebody that you truly need to love. It does not have a time frame on it because this could, happen, this could take days weeks, months. It may never happen that they come to know Christ. But we need to stay with it because God's called us to that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
thank you for all that you do. Thank you for how you uh, wire each of us to proclaim your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that in all of what we do, we need to love you so that the world may see us. That we need to listen and ask questions just as you did. So Lord, I pray that you would prompt our hearts, your Holy Spirit would speak to us of who we need to speak with and to be intentional in those relationships. And yes, Lord, we're going to fail. Help us to get back up and keep on moving. We pray this in your name. Amen.